What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This is going to be episode number 54, and we're going to be sitting down with my buddy Chad France, better known as See the Tree, to talk about building decks within the new format that has been created with the new rule-limiting territory class enhancements to one per turn. And so we'll have that for you. Also, we'll hit some recent content that has come out in the last couple of weeks since we haven't had a podcast episode. And other than that, you know, we're just we're just here hanging out. So thanks for listening. Let's get right into it. What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This week is going to be episode number 54. On the back end, we've got a conversation with my friend Chad France, who most of you probably know more as See the Tree. He is the front man for Land of Redemption now that that torch has been passed on from Gabe to him. And we're going to have a conversation about deck building and kind of adjusting to the one territory class environment or format that we have now versus what we previously had. So that's what you got to look forward to as the main conversation on the back end of this episode. But before we get into that, I would like to uh, go over some recent news and content that has come out for the game of redemption. So here we are. Uh, I guess part of the uh, news section here, I guess I should mention that this is Two weeks we've gone without a podcast, and that was due to the first time being that my internet was out from storms, and then last week traveling back from the Kentucky State Tournament, I just didn't leave myself enough window of time to get a podcast episode you know, scheduled, planned, recorded, so ended up not doing that because it would have been rushed, and I didn't want to have something that I rushed, so mentioning that Kentucky State Tournament was last week. Or the weekend before last. We can go over some results from that. I do have that. Mr. Brian Jones shared that with us. And it was definitely a fun time going up to Kentucky. It was my first time in the state of Kentucky. And thankfully I didn't go off the off the road into some random ravine or have a deer run out in front of me. But uh, it's definitely a unique place to drive. And... There's some roads that are pretty trying if you have never been to Kentucky to where Mr. Uh, Brian Jones' school is, and that school is the Oakdale Christian Academy. So anyway, went up there, had a good time. We ended up having 23 players total, I believe, and the results we have are as follows. Mr. Brian Jones kind of took away the (laughs) ran away with the weekend for the categories that he played so I guess maybe there's some conspiracy theory maybe not who knows but in type one two player which is the main category the flagship category for the game and for this play group you had Brian Jones come in first place Seth Bennett one of the students there came in second place and Sean Seavers came in third place. 
Sean being from Chris's play group there in Knoxville. And type two, Mr. Tyler Stevens, he won. Chris Fashman came in second. And third was Mr. Brandon Wade. And sealed deck, number one was Brian Jones. Number two, Seth Bennett. And number three was Stephen Coates. He's another one of the staff members there that helps out Brian with his group of students. So I guess... (laughs) I guess the uh, the two the two adults for the play group found a way to come in first and third there with Seth Bennett being uh, second. Booster draft Brian Jones won that. Ewan Wang came in second, and Peter Lee came in third. And that just leaves teams, and in teams, Sean Severs and Brandon Wade came in first followed by Andy Fish and Joseph Powell in second. And third was Will Ward and Roman Signorello. I believe I said that name correctly. But those are the uh, the winners and the, the placings for Kentucky State Tournament. So those should be up um, at any point now on Cactus uh, for the RNRS points. And then we have another round of tournaments coming up this weekend. I know of two and that is going to be the Oregon State Tournament, which Chad mentions in our conversation. And then also the Tennessee State Tournament is happening this weekend. And I will be going to that one as I have regularly started to attend all of Chris's tournaments in Knoxville. So that one I will be at. And hopefully I can come away with a, a better finish than I had at the Kentucky State Tournament where I only came in seventh in type one, so that dream is alive. (laughs) In other news, um, we do have, obviously, the Land of Redemption article from our friend Chad of the Soul Surfer deck that he put out, and that's kind of part, part of what, you know, had me reach out to him to come on the podcast and talk about building decks in the current format now that the rule change is in effect. So you have that. You can go and look at But also, in the world of redemption videos, we can check in with our friend Jaden, who has the new and improved Redemption with Jaden channel with his new graphics and uh, intro video. Looks pretty sleek. But he has a video called The Cross and The Empty Tomb. And this is where he's playing a cross-based deck that's trying to get the win condition off of The Cross to the point to where it doesn't even have Son of God or Second Coming in the deck. And then um, he's playing against Jared, who has the Empty Tomb deck on his side, so kind of playing into the Easter theme. So you have that, and you can go check that out. If you didn't see last week's video from Redemption with Jaden, there is a video of Jay and Jake, or Ager the Wise, and that's up as well on Jaden's channel. You can go and check out. I believe those are the only two that have come out since we had a podcast episode. So go check those out and throw your boy a like and subscribe on his channel <laughs> to uh, help him out over there. But beyond that, we also have a return to the community. And I think everyone's excited that this guy's back, but him. And, uh, yes, we stress the N at the end of that hymn 
so that you don't just think I'm saying him, but H-Y-M-N, and that is Jared Strauss from Texas, and he is now back and active within the community, and he has a new video out about a deck that he was working on, and he kind of put it into the uh, Zerubbabel Temple Discord, and then he ended up making a video to explain it and show it in, in further detail, but it's a Voltron David deck that is trying to manipulate and have several different artifacts that help you kind of make um force the opponent into special initiative early and you know prevent interaction with dominance in the battle phase something like that but i started watching it i have not finished it but that was released yesterday evening so if you're hearing this on tuesday morning tuesday whatever it came out monday night so that's some um, up to the minute you know content alerts so make sure you go and check that out and uh, go ahead and subscribe to that channel so you can catch any other updates that Jared does for redemption content. Now, that does leave us with our good friend, Mr. Tyler Stevens, who two weeks ago put out a Demon and Thieves deck. Uh, our defense, rather. It's not a full deck. It's just a defense. I ended up using that defense at Kentucky State. It's super fun. So if you guys haven't checked that video out, Go check that out to give uh, Tyler some love. And that brings us to Mr. Rob M. Studios, who Rob M. obviously is hosting the Zoom Discord Invitational Tournament, so you have you have that kind of interaction with him. And he's got some gameplay. Twelve days ago, he put out his Angel and Demons versus a Matthew and Herod's deck for round four of the Series X Zoom Discord Invitational. So you can go and check that gameplay out. And then he's got more of those Animo videos where he is, you know, showcasing that game and, and gameplay and unboxing. So you can go and check that out if you're interested in that game. But that's what you've got to look forward to from Mr. Rob M. on YouTube. And I believe that is going to just about cover our content creators that I, I normally give a shout out to. So definitely go and check those guys out and... You know, make sure that you're staying on top of the content that's being created because, I mean, there's so many great resources for redemption. The only thing that you need to do is just take advantage of them by going and watching and supporting those guys so that we continue to keep making content for the game. I think it's such a great spot that redemption's in with all the content right now. So definitely go and check out and share share the love with those guys. Did you guys know that we're 108 days away from Nationals? A hundred and eight days away from nationals. Like, I can't believe it. <laughs> it feels like it's sneaking up. And now we're starting to get into that territory to where you're going to have states and regional tournaments come in and, and sprinkle in. And the closer we get, it's just going to keep feeling more and more real until we're finally there. And last year, I let it sneak up on me to where I wasn't even sure of the deck that I was playing even while I was en route to nationals. But definitely not happening this year. I'm doing my homework. I'm going to be better prepared this year, so you guys should too. But Redemption Nationals for 2023 is only 108 days away, and that will again be held in Knoxville, Tennessee. And there will be more details to come for that, I'm sure, but maybe we can, you know, at the Tennessee State Tournament, we'll try to pry some information out of Chris. So... <laughs> 
we'll work on that. I'll I'll do my best, guys. I can't I can't promise anything, but maybe I can get him to start talking because once he starts talking, you know he's not going to stop. So I'll try my best, but that's what we've got. That's where we are with the current news information. Anybody else that has any tournaments coming up, uh, if you guys want those to be shared on the podcast, make sure you, that you prov- uh, provide them to me. Ask your tournament host to provide them, that type of thing. I can only share information that I have, but hopefully we'll be able to follow up next week with potentially the results for two state tournaments, and that is the Tennessee State Tournament and the Oregon State Tournament. So with that, I believe we're just going to roll right over. Step into the conversation here with Chad, and thanks for listening, and appreciate you. All right, guys, we're here with Mr. Chad France, or better known as See the Tree. How you doing, Chad? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, John. Yep, always glad to to catch up with you. So, how is Redemption going in the Pacific Northwest? Well, it's rainy up here. Thankfully, it's an indoor activity or else it wouldn't be happening. Um, But uh, yeah, things are going well here in Oregon. We have Oregon State this week, actually. So my play group has been getting ready for that. We get together every other week and practice. And so everyone's kind of got their decks figured out. We had a district tournament about a month ago and then a local in December. So I think everyone's ready to figure out who the state champ's going to be. And we, we've got contenders. Like our group has been going on for a couple of years now. And so there have been some people who have been playing that whole time. And so they have decks that are pretty competitive and upgraded. And so it'll be an interesting state tournament, to say the least. And then we've got regionals in May. And Idaho joins us for that. And Idaho has a really good group um, with, that Mike Lasky, 777 Godspeed, some of you know him, has put together. So Northwest Regionals is actually a pretty uh, hop in place. There's a lot going on there. And so we're excited for a great tournament season. How many people are you expecting at your state tournament coming up? Because it's mostly just going to be your play group, right? Yeah, so it'll be my play group. And then Scott Stamp, he's not as active on the Discord as he used to be on the forums, but some of you some of you might recognize Stamp. He He's kind of a redemption patriarch, so to speak. So he'll join us, and he kind of runs the tournament. I'm guessing with him, myself, we'll probably have about 10 to 12 players from my play group that will show up. Not everyone will be able to make it. Some of them have, like, track and field. Most of my play group is teenagers, so... Um, I'm a youth pastor, and that's kind of how the group got started. So it's mostly teenagers, but I think we'll have probably about 14 people, including Scott and myself. If we made it up to 16, that would be pretty cool, but I don't think we'll get there this time. Yeah, that that's still a pretty healthy number for just mostly your play group and then Scott coming over. Yeah, exactly. There is a group in Salem, um, Oregon, that Scott actually ran a district with this past Saturday, but they're not able to join us for state. Uh, We tried to work that out, but it's hard getting all the schedules together. So um, it would have been cool to have had them join us. So yeah, we're happy with that number for pretty much just a play group in Scott. You mentioned that um, previously that two of your students were trying to make their uh, first appearance at nationals, trying to you know, go and you talked about working on those decks and getting them into a, a more competitive state. They want to try their hand at nationals and you were doing a fundraiser about that. So how's that going? It's been really neat. You know, the community has rallied behind it and it's doing well overall. Right now, I think we're at like $690 raised 
flights from Oregon to Tennessee are not cheap. So basically what it is is just to cover the cost of their tickets. I'm able to afford to pay for my own ticket, but can't afford theirs. And so I'm super encouraged by how generous everyone has been so far to be at 690. We're getting close to the goal. And um, yeah, so it's it's exciting for them. Uh, one of the guys, he's never been on an airplane before. So it, this is a big deal for them. And so they're they're really looking forward to this. And it basically it'll be the top two players in our play group that get to go. And all, all the youth would want to go that are in the group. But I'm like, we can't do that. So I was like, let's let's try and make it possible for the top two guys in the group to go. And they've had the best results and had the most success overall. And so, yeah, I think we'll see how they do. One of them, he, he says he's going to win nationals this year. He's convinced. So uh, <laughs> he's a 17 year old student and he's, he's ready to win Nats. He says his time is now. So better watch out everyone. All right. If, if you donate, Sarah. you're donating toward the, toward the champion. <laughs> so I guess you'll, you'll get to, uh, you know, throw some jokes at him if he doesn't win Oregon state. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. how, how do you win nationals if you don't win state? But then some people would say, you play in regionals and states because you want to lose, Tyler would mm. say, so that you can make those changes and improve your deck for nationals. But I'm sure you can have some back and forth with him if you're able to edge him out at, at the state tournament. Yeah, definitely. He's he's come a long way. In fact, we were playing a casual game, and I was giving him some pointers. This is a new deck, but it was the first time anyone in the play group has beat me in a game. He says it doesn't count because I was giving him pointers, but – he, we regularly, it's 5-4 between me and him a lot. He's He actually can do well. I told him to temper his expectations a bit. I don't think he's quite ready to take first because I'm not even there. But um, I think he can he can do well. But yeah. And hey, you got to dream, too, though. Dream big. Oh, yeah. He's a dreamer for <laughs> sure. Uh, but one thing I should mention, you know, with this fundraiser, I want to emphasize that at the end of it, every person, I think I put it for every $10 that someone don't know every twenty dollars they donate they get a ticket in a raffle and so we have um a full uh uncut sheet framed and then several high-end promo cards that and ultra rares that will be raffled off as a lot and so one person will walk away with that i think the total value is like over a thousand dollars worth of stuff so what we're going to do is at the end of the fundraiser once we reach our goal me and the other two students are going to go down twitch and we're going to raffle that off and reveal the winner and so that's something else to keep in mind uh, maybe a little bit of incentive to to donate so figured i'd mention that yeah definitely nice to have the uh the added bonus of that stuff but i think probably the biggest thing is just being able to see some new faces at nationals because everyone wants nationals to do well and there's always people that can't make it for whatever reason, but being that these guys are willing to be there, want to be there, and the only thing stopping them is, you know, a financial hurdle, hopefully the community can rally and help you, you know, push towards getting that full goal met. And uh, I think it'll happen. So I, f I feel good that, that you're going to get there. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic as well. And thanks to everyone already that's been so generous. Really appreciate it. So I guess uh, the main the main reason for the conversation here with Chad is you recently put out a deck called the or, or an article about a deck called the Soul Surfer. 
and it's kind of a unique name. And then uh, you go in to tell the reason of why you came up with that name, and then it's kind of cheesy. But the Soul Surfer does sound like a cool name. Almost feels like Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. It's Chad France and the Rise of the Soul Surfer. (laughs) (laughs) But you talked about, you know, kind of adapting your deck building for the one territory class format and said that you had been working on it primarily with three decks. And this was one of them that you're sharing and you're holding back on the other two because they might be used at nationals and whatnot. But in all of that, knowing how much thought and effort you put into deck building, because it seems like you're always constantly tinkering with things or trying new ideas, I figured it'd be nice to pick your brain a little bit about how you've adapted within the environment of one territory class enhancement um, when it comes to deck building. So I guess just big picture, the Soul Surfer, when it came to developing that, you know, what thoughts went into that? Because you took that one deck you said was the Goldilocks from your previous article you put out on Land of Redemption. And guys, you can go and check all of these articles out on Land of Redemption. So, you know, that's a plug for your, your site there. Now the uh, owner of Land of Redemption. So we'll, we'll throw you a little plug there. But when you went to the drawing board and you were like, all right, one territory class enhancement, what's the first thing you do? to a deck list and start adapt to start adapting to that format. Yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing I did is I tried to think through, even before I started tinkering with decks I'd already built, you know, for before the rule happened or building new ones, I tried to just think about the rule itself and how it impacts things. So I sat down for a while and just thought about it, you know, and, and brainstormed how I thought a game would play out, you know, playing with it that way. And then I started to think through, okay, well, what strategies will be strong in this format? What's going to rise to the top? Because obviously what's been happening, which was kind of, let's be blunt, numerous nativity. That's what was the most threatening thing in the fall. And at least for me too, like I, I ended up shifting over from that Goldilocks deck, which was basically just a turbo salty deck. The point of the deck was to get salty out as early as possible to try and stop numerous nativity decks from getting set up. And it was turn zero. So I would get set that out before, you know, they had an opportunity to get set up, but then that deck was doing okay. But against decks that weren't numerous sativity, it was kind of struggling a bit. And so I built a numerous sativity deck that I actually really liked that basically would do impartial judgment turn one, and then follow up with uh, strong rescues with hand control with teaching and parables and first sacrifice. And it, it won a lackey grand prix for me it did well, but I was like, okay, well that deck, let's think about that. So I'm using that as an example. How will that deck fare in one territory class? Well, that deck plays like 20 territory class enhancements Per turn not really but you know it's a lot and then you chain territory class enhancements so you're doing numerous and then the key with the numerous is you're grabbing fifth seal and then you play that you know to get to a piece like star bethlehem and so that's gone and that was a big thing that i think i realized is like we can't chain territory class enhancements anymore which has kind of dominated the meta being able to do that being able to chain them together even something simple like a white musician's deck that's doing love righteousness to fifth seal to something that's not going to be happening, you know, or, and so I think that those are really, that was a really important realization to make. And so with that, then 
one thing I realized is that enhancements that search on their own and don't rely another on another enhancement are actually good in terms of territorial class enhancements because you still want to use them if you can. So something like Spirit as a Dove or Solomon's Dream, they grab something tangible with their search. They don't go to something else to then search again. So like Fifth Seal isn't good anymore in this format, in my opinion. But those territorial class enhancements are still good. Um, and so as I was building decks, I was trying to figure stuff like that out. And then the big thing that I thought of is I thought about when the game didn't used to be so dominated by territory class enhancements, what strategies were really good. And so I kind of thought back to, you know, the way the meta used to be in say like 2009 or 2010. And I actually read and thought about deck lists on the forums and how the decks used to be built. Well, the consistent thing in those decks is they emphasized in-battle draw. In-battle draw is how the decks would get set up reliably and consistently. And so that's why the old throne deck with ROA Samuel was so good because it had an ability to get card advantage through battle in a time when there weren't a lot of good territory class enhancements. So at that point, that was kind of the thing that I think I realized. Decks that are able to set up in-battle have and offenses and defenses that have that ability have an instant advantage over uh, themes and uh, builds that don't have that. And so that that was kind of the first thing I did, was just thinking through what's going to be good. And then once I got that general picture in my mind, looking at the way the game used to be before territory class enhances were a big deal, I was like, okay, well, which specific things have that ability? Number one is Matthew. Like, obviously, there's three tutor angels that can get to him. He's on his own, able to create more card advantage than probably any other card in the game. So I was like, we're going to see a lot of Matthew. Um, and the other thing that I realized is there's a certain someone named Jay Chambers who kept spanking my butt. Um, and I was like, why is this deck so good that he has? And I realized that something like his deck, which for those of you that aren't familiar he won the Mr. Classic Championship with the Flood Soul Hide deck. And so his goal is to keep Lost Souls off the board. And then his deck is built to be able to play many turns. Well, in a one territory class enhancement world, that's a pretty good strategy. And the game, there aren't these decks that are able to set up so fast that they can just blast him out of the water. And so he's able to control the state of the game in a major way. And so stuff like that I started to notice. And so I was like, okay, so probably Matthew decks and Jay's deck are going to be two of the strongest things around. Um, and then there's a few others that would be good. So I got that picture in mind. And then I was like, okay, well, I need to build a deck that can interact well with those things because those are going to be very dangerous because I lost four games to Jay in a row, didn't beat them. And this was before the rule change, but... I, I saw that his deck would work anyway. It wouldn't really be that impacted by the territory class rule. Would, would um, you say that Jay using the flood chill and then doing the soul hide defense and, and manipulating that way, would you say that that and then turbo Matthew decks, Matthew decks that use all those ways that you mentioned the three angels that can go to him. You have Pat Mose, um ways to get Matthew out. Would you say that right now, in your thought process as you're thinking about what the meta is going to look like with one territory class. Those are like the different ends of the spectrum, a deck that's wanting to control the pace 
and maybe not draw as fast and more strategic searching versus drawing so that they can control the souls going on the board. And then Matthew that's just trying to get into battle as quick as possible with Matthew and get a crazy big draw. I feel like those are the ends of the spectrum, or at least that's what I, I think they are. Um, you've got the decks that want to do more strategic drawing now with the rule versus just openly drawing. And then you've got the ones that are still going to try to just get big characters that that draw and create card advantage in battle. I definitely think so. And the thing with the Matthew deck is then as it draws, it's drawing Daenerys for Drachma coin, and it's just going to draw more, you know, in ways that work in the format. So that deck is going to be really fast and set up quickly. And yeah, Jay's deck is more the control deck. So they're very different, but they're both, they both have inevitability, which is they're both able to accomplish their purpose consistently. And that's why they're both probably the best example of those two different extremes in terms of deck builds. But yeah, I'd say that's very fair. Um, hundred percent. And so then with that in mind, when we're deck building, we have to account for that. And there's, there's all kinds of other stuff in between, but the other thing that I noticed is, and I mentioned this in my article is cards that have high individual card value. And I mean, characters are really good in this format. So that's a card that can create its own rescue potential on offense or its own block potential on defense. And so, you know, a card like, for instance, Herod the Great. Herod the Great creates his own rescue potential in that he is able to play Herod's Temple from deck, choose an attacker, toss them, create a toss scenario where they're likely to lose a battle, you know. And then on offense, an example of creating rescue potential would be like David Hart after God. He grabs Angel of the Lord or Royal Parade and, you know, he's creating his own rescue potential. So I think cards like that are really good because when you can't draw your whole deck, you don't want dead cards in your hand. And so if you get a bad draw, if you have cards with high card value, you're less likely to get a bad draw because you have cards that do things and are able to pose, you know, questions to the opponent of like, okay, I have this, I have a way to win the battle. Do you have something that's better than this? And so that was something that really impacted my deck building is trying to have cards that are like that. Or if you don't have that, having a deck that can consistently in the format get to the few cards in the deck that are strong. Um, and there's not a lot. So one interesting thing with Flood is if you look at Flood, Flood has that. Noah, it, he creates that. He he sets up the whole offense on his own. You know, once you get him, you have the whole offense. So that's that's an example of a deck. Not every card in that deck has high individual card value, but it's so consistent at getting to Noah, and then the whole thing is set. So that was another thing that I realized is you need to either have high individual card value or a deck that can consistently get set up in the format. Um, and that kind of limits what options you have, you know? Yeah. I feel like not too long ago we were, we were facing a lot of, um, especially, and it might, might just be that Jaden went through a phase there where he was playing a lot of this and then everybody got exposed to that because he was playing it in his videos and you know there's a little bit of a you know you're gonna try the thing that you see if it works out well um so there's a little bit of that copycat element but things like lying profit would come out and put you potentially already in special initiative if it's a lone hero or whatnot um or gets the card advantage 
a card like that. I mean, heck, he even had a deck where he turned it into a hero and was rescuing souls. <laughs> so, but I feel like there was a time where, uh, right before GOC, or at least before phase two of GOC, it seemed like there was a lot of um, a lot of that in the individual character value being high, especially on defense because people were running those smaller defenses and each one needed to be able to do something well, even something mm-hmm. like Firefox's potentially has you know the ability to create its own block by coming in you've searched okay i'm protecting souls now i'm going to die by the numbers that type of thing but we were seeing that and then i think with phase two coming out and then also you know one territory class now as you see how it's affecting deck building people are going more toward balanced um decks even if even if they're not intending to because it's just it's a natural thing because you're not going to want all of those territory class enhancements that chain together like you mentioned. You're going to want just a few, and then you're going to have more battle winners. You're going to have more characters on defense because now you've got deck space available to you. And it seems like in the games that I've played, balanced decks are actually probably the most common now instead mm-hmm. of the hyper-aggressive thing. So... It's not like you've got to get through one or two main evil characters and then you're basically walking. It's, you know, a a more beefy defense that you have to work through. And then on top of that, if they're getting the high individual value from the characters that can create their own blocking potential, I think that is kind of a shift that's, it's at least refreshing to see because, you know, we've been two or three years now where it's super hyper-aggressive and chump defenses. And obviously, you still have some of that with, like, Saul running around, and he's so good. But I guess as you increase the ability for characters to get their own block potential or heroes to get their own rescue potential, it it all just feeds back into that balanced deck idea. Is that what you're seeing, that that most people are playing more balanced now? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it, it it's a shift that has to happen because someone... Now, there's a couple builds that can run a lot of territory class enhancements, but most of them can't because they don't, they play one and then it's just dead, you know? And there's certain territory class enhancements that have in battle utility, you know, like Emmaus Road, for instance, that one can work in battle too, but a lot of them don't. And then you just have this card that is sitting there and you're like, man, I'd way rather have this be a battle winner. So, I think, yeah, you're right. A lot of decks have shifted to being more balanced. They're running more of a robust defense and uh, there's more battle winners. And so it's different. And yeah, I think the character value has definitely increased. You see a lot of characters that can draw cards. And so that creates rescue potential because you're drawing into resources. Um, cards that look and take, you know, like a Japheth or an Angel of the Harvest, they look and take a card. That, that creates, you know, some rescue potential. And the cards that are like fight by the numbers on offense, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jairus or 24 Elders or a Noah or Lazarus, stuff like that is really, really good because it's helping you to have a better shot in battle. And, you know, before we would run a few characters like that in deck and then we'd storm through our whole deck and go in with those guys to rescue. But we'd also have, you know, the board locked down with counters or whatever. And that stuff just doesn't happen as much. So you need to have a resilient offense and defense to get through and and win the game um but i think there might be some turbo decks out there still but they'll definitely have a lot more in battle draw and they have to get uh sparked by something like a matthew draw 
you know, in order to get to their other draw resources and storm through their deck. So, yeah. Back to the soul surfer that you mm. posted on land of redemption. The, one of the main elements you were, you mentioned in that was the fact that you have all these souls that do something to impact the game in your favor, uh, by affecting what the opponent does. Like if they have a deck that wants to hide souls, you can get orphans out to protect lost souls from, from that. Um, if they are using Matthew and you feel that they're using Matthew, you can go to, uh, you can use all of the, the cards. And you have a bunch of the play a lost soul cards so that you can potentially get turn zero interaction here. But you could go to a crowd's lost soul or protector lost soul. I think it's called both, depending on who you ask. But the one that protects your hands if you haven't, your hand if you haven't drawn four or more. But basically, you're relying on soul abilities to help influence the game in your favor and give a hurdle for the opponent. And it seems like before one territory class, if you did not go first, you were going to be met with a territory class negate neutral card character. And when I was reading that uh, about your deck, I was like, okay, so if you're not running into that issue, that means the game has slowed down at least enough to where soul abilities that have ongoing effects versus the instant abilities, for them to be able to have a deck built around them, the game has to have slowed down and at least enough to where, you know, you get a turn of that affecting the game for you to build an entire deck around it. So how much of an issue is negate neutral? And do you think those are less consistent now with territory class being limited? Mm. Good question. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit about the build too, if you don't mind real quick and what led to it. Um, because the original question was about the deck and the deck building behind it. So the theory behind this deck came from a deck I built last summer and it was actually a widow deck and I ran it in the lackey grand prix that finished up shortly after nationals. And I realized that I was like, man, how do you stop widow? Because this deck is stupid, you know, it, it's going to draw through the whole deck. And I was like, well, wait a minute, Distress Lost Soul stops Widow, and then Crowds Lost Soul stops Matthew. So if I get those out, then my, and my opponent goes first, then I can still win the game. And so I built this Widow deck that did that, and I ended up winning this Lackey Grand Prix, and I beat Jaden, Josh Potrats, uh, I beat uh, JD Cunningham, Jay, you know, these really great players all these JD in the final. <laughs> yeah and you know jd had been practically i think and he was undefeated going into that final in that like grand prix and the deck worked magnificently i ran crowds choice and harvest time and then ways to those two lost souls distressing crowds and so if i went second it's okay i have a chance of stopping them and i ran vain philosophy too to have another way to stop it and so i realized there that turn zero interaction is one of the more underrated aspects of our game because now with star abilities, there's a lot more ways to interact turn zero, specifically through lost souls. They're the main piece. And so I had been, you know, thinking about that and that, that then led to the salty deck where I was trying to get salty out turn zero, but yeah, the salty deck did run into issues because I would, it was twofold. I typically actually beat the numerosity deck with it. And they didn't, they weren't able to get to their negate neutral, but against decks that were balanced. And like, for example, I remember I had a game where I should have lost to card game fanatic and his angel deck, and he just shut it down with resurrection revealer. And then his deck was balanced enough. And I just 
I, I was a, I think it was a timeout tie, but he it, had it gone one more turn, he would have beat me. And so I kind of moved on from that deck because I was like, it's just not able to hold its own against the balance decks. But I think the reason was that my soul package was just focused on getting distressed and salty because I needed distress to protect salty. And then if I didn't get that, they tended to deal with salty and it wasn't all that good. So yeah, the, the uh, negate neutrals were, were a problem for that deck in the fall. But then when I started thinking about this one, I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, if I'm running other things other than just salty, like orphans or complacent loss bees for one territory class, decks are running tons of battle winning dominance. Now, once again, card value, you know, you've got ways to win battles in your dominance, you're better off. And then um, humble loss soul for dealing with a deck that runs like a gyrus. And so I kind of shifted my strategy to having that. And then also even prioritizing, like you said, crowds for Matthew. And it's worked well. I used to run Distressed, but I actually took it out because of how few Negate Neutrals characters I'm seeing. Angels obviously haven't. They have Resurrection or Beeler. But a lot of the other decks, they might run like an Akeem, but it's going to take him a while to get to that character. Generally a couple turns, unless if they just draw into it naturally. But the other thing is, there's other ways to deal with um, those characters. Like in my deck, I have Herodias's Daughter in Reserve. And she can switch out to any of my Herods. And she just reserves their negate neutral character on her own. And so I noticed that that was a way that I have to, you know, get rid of that if it's causing an issue for me. But yeah, I, I don't see negate neutral characters other than the angel deck being as much of a threat now. And if they do, then in this deck, you just insert a distress lost soul. But yeah, the whole point of the deck is... I am able to, against most decks, turn zero, be able to put something out there that impacts one of their major strategies. So Matthew decks crowds, um, soul high deck orphans, a deck that's just a balanced deck that runs a bunch of good, awesome dominance, complacent. You know, my deck only runs one Angel of the Lord that's intent on being used for battle, but Simon the Zealous can negate that soul when I go into battle to use it, you know? So that's the whole purpose of it and it, it's worked well so far it, it has done a lot better than the deck did in the fall partly because the decks are slower in general and so they have a harder time getting to ways to deal with whatever threat i pose and so i kind of just enter in then turn zero with something that slants the game in my favor if that makes sense yeah absolutely um and i i can tell you from the way that i play the game and approach the game um, not that I'm a super, super great player. I haven't had the, uh, Nike Grand Prix success that you've had or the Zoom Discord Invitational success, but hey, uh, I'm still trying. <laughs> but part of, part of the way that I like to play is making the opponent, um, play in a way that's counter to, so everybody puts a deck together and I think they have like, if everything goes in my favor, turn one, this is what my best turn one looks like, or this is the best, you know, maybe now with one territory class, it, it's, you know, a broader view. It's not like this specific look is what I'm trying to have after turn one. Now it's like if I have one or two of these out of a, a group of them down, then I feel confident going into the rest of the game trying to get my favorable board state set up. Hmm. And I think if you can make people play outside of whatever that ideal strategy is, 
it makes it makes them play the game on edge a little bit more and you can get into where maybe they make a misplay or maybe they don't utilize a card that can hurt you in the way that it can hurt you because they just they don't see it that way because they're having to play outside of the normal flow of whatever their deck is and that's where it comes into the more you know your deck the more you've played and experienced a wide ra- uh, array of you know game states you know that's how how much better you pilot that deck how much experience you have against a wide array of you know game outcomes but mm. i feel like if you can you know you put that one soul down that makes them play turn one in a way that is counter to their ideal way to play turn one you probably get into some favorable, you know, setups just based on the fact that you're making them play around something that they maybe don't have an answer for because you can't just fish to an answer with a territory class enhancement anymore. You know, so some of those uh, souls probably have a little bit more oomph or impact there up front. Exactly. And the other thing with the one territory class enhancement rule that's hard is a lot of the counters in the game that we want to get to it's hard to get to them now, <laughs> you know, like looking at, I'd say confusion of mind is maybe the best individual counter right now in the game. Golden calf isn't as good as it was for obvious reasons, but yeah, confusion of mind. But I mean, you can run endless treasures, you can run delivered, you know, you've got a couple things to get there, you know, and offering your son, but also you're, you're kind of getting rid of some other things that you might run there. So there's some ways to get to that fast, but not nearly as fast as you could before. And then also, if you don't go first, then is it as good? Yeah, it's still probably worth running. But the souls are the one way we have in the game with all the star abilities to get to them and crowd's choice and harvest time to really get something out there that impacts the opponent and also impacts them when you're not going first. And I think that there's something really to be said for that, for sure. Now, would I rather have confusion of mind than, like, you know, salty or complacent? Yeah, definitely. But we don't have a soul that does that, and I'm having to wait till my turn to get that counter up. So it, it really helps when you're going second, because I think any good deck is going to be able to win when going second. And this deck definitely can, because it gives me something to at least slow the opponent down when I'm going second. And that's that's part of that being able to adjust and and play through a variety of scenarios is having ways to be okay when you go second um and this deck does this this isn't the only deck that can do that but i think this strategy is a sound one that helps with that yeah i think so as well now you mentioned earlier inevitability that decks have so jay's flood deck has a certain inevitability at some point it's going to get to this favorable game state that it's comfortable operating in. And it's it's honestly just one of those game states where it's kind of, it's grindy. It's like, you're like, I don't know if I'm doing well because I've got him into like turn four and he only has two souls and you're still there. But that's exactly where that deck wants to be is kind of in that, in that mired, back and forth because at a certain point it's going to start regenerating those resources that it's already used and you're going to start running out of those resources and it's going to win the attrition war. Um, that's just kind of what it's set up to do. And then you you mentioned that Matthew decks also, they have that inevitability because they're going to get that big draw and eventually 
They're going to get to their four-drop McCoin, their Denarius, and they're just going to eventually have all of their resources or the majority of their resources before you do, and then that's going to slant things in their favor to a point to where at a certain point it just becomes inevitable that you lose because you lost the tempo war for gathering those resources. So twofold question. What would you say the average, uh, if a deck does have like an inevitability, you know, setup, like what it's trying to get to that's going to yield a win, how long do you think it's taken decks to get to that point? Because I believe before this rule change, some decks could get there after turn one. Like you can know after turn one, this deck is on the way to win. And then it was, you know, absent a reset off of a new beginning or, you know, three nails. It's probably going to just coast to a win. And now it's it's not that, but how many turns would you say the game yields before a deck starts to have that inevitable game state that it's trying to set up? And then also your deck, looking at the list, um, I feel like it doesn't necessarily have an inevitable game state because you're just trying to put something down for the opponent to think about, and then it's stacked with just good value cards. Um, so... Do you have, do you have like a, a certain game state that you get to with that deck to where you feel like, okay, now I'm rolling and the game's in my favor and I've got it in the bag? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I'll address the first one. How many turns is it taking for most decks to have an, an inevitable game state where they're in control of the game and on their way to victory? I would say part of that we haven't even fully figured out yet. You know, we're still in the early stages. This rule's been official just a little over a month now. And so we're trying to figure that out because also there's a lot of deck building that needs to be done yet. You know, like I, that's kind of the whole point of this podcast is to maybe spark some of that. Because a lot of people I think are maybe seeing something that, you know, a Josh or a Tyler posts or a Jay, and then they kind of adopt that for themselves and tinker with it. But there needs to be some more original deck building going on. So we even figure those things out from what I've seen, I would say kind of after turn two, now you have a rough idea for decks that are built. Well, which deck is in control of the game? Um, I don't, there's sometimes where turn one, the person who went turn one, like let's say they drew to hand limit off Matthew and it's just, yeah, it's, it's looking pretty bleak for the opponent. You know, um, that can happen or, you know, Jay's deck has burial, anise, everything in hand to hide souls. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a nightmare and you don't have your orphans or protection out. So I think that can happen turn one still, but it's a lot more rare. So I'd say turn two uh, with my deck. So one thing with my deck, the offense is built that I'm not wasting any time. I'm wanting to rescue souls right away. I win on turn three a lot with this deck because turn one, I've got a lot of ways for Matthew to win that initial battle. Or the other thing I do is because I'm aware that people might be running stuff against Matthew, like a herdsman at Garar, or they're running crowds too. I pivot to Angel from the Sun to Justin Martyr, draw two, and then get another draw three, hopefully, off Blood of the Lamb. So, 
And then my follow-up rescues, I try to run rescues that make it very hard for the opponent to interact. So all the stuff with Simon the Zealous, I, I explain it in the article, but there's some nasty stuff like Simon the Zealous and Untouchable tossed off Herod's Temple or the Cross against someone with toughness seven or less. That, you can't stop that. Simon the Zealous with Spirit as a Dove against a fat character or a protected character like an Emperor Nero to grab, you know, the Great Commission, CBN. That's tough to stop. Um, Simon the Zealous with Day of Judgment backed by Polycarp or Blood of the Lamb. Pretty likely to get through. Noah with Royal Parade or Amazing Faith. Tough to get through. Lazarus the Called with the Great Commission. Tough to get through. You know, so uh, and then an Angel of the Lord rescue. You know, Simon or anyone with Angel of the Lord. Really good. So that's kind of the goal of the deck is to just hit hard fast so that I'm winning on turn three or turn four. Um, I can play the long game. My defense is enough that it can go through, but that's what I found with this deck is the inevitable thing is I'm going to pose something for you. And then I'm running Matthew. I'm running Justin Martyr draw. I'm going to get to these high quality rescues and just try and blast through your defense, no matter how stout it is, because I'm running rescues that are hard to interact with. And then, oh yeah, eternal inheritance too, to close out on the fifth soul. So um, that's kind of the inevitability of that deck is just that I run really strong rescues and high, high quality rescues that are hard to stop. And Authority of Christ is there too. So it's just, it's a brutal offense to face and there's not a lot of defenses that can stop it. And I have solutions for just about every type of defense in the offense. So I'm going for a turn three or turn four win, slow you down, get my stuff going and just cruise through. Um, and I think we'll see a decent number of decks like that, that just have really powerful offense that does that. I think that personally, I feel like that's what Throne did. You know, Throne was that way. When Throne dominated, it would get set up and it would have these rescues that you just couldn't really stop and it would win pretty fast. You know, Throne decks were, sometimes they'd have more defense than others, but it was just, you can't really stop the offense. And so that's that's the big picture of what my deck is trying to accomplish. I use the souls as the way to interact with my opponent, but I'm just trying to crush you and beat face with the offense, you know, um, and that's what it's generally done. So I think that every deck needs to have some type of inevitability, though, whether it's a control aspect like Jay. But I'd say most of the time, you know, kind of by turn two, if your deck is going to get there or not or if it's the opponent's deck that's kind of got the edge. Um, some games, though, it might be later, if depending on how the decks are built. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. So how important do you think having a three nails reset for the one territory class environment is? I feel like before we we went to that rule change, that it was almost, it felt like, to me personally, it felt like falling away in the old classic format to where you had just the full card pool. It was like almost, you need that because when they play theirs, you're going to need it just to keep up with tempo and, you know, kind of even things out that way. And I feel like you can get such a big jump and have that big advantageous jump. And one territory class enhancement, let's just be honest, it really doesn't stop Matthew it just means that all these ways to Matthew means that you can still consistently do that. And now I feel like probably a few more people are going to lean that way just because how consistent it is to get to in turn one. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to replace some of that consistency that you're losing with territory class enhancements, even if you're just replacing it with a raw draw 
from your in-battle characters, like you mentioned. And I feel like decks are still going to do that, and then maybe the reset can still play a vital part in flipping a, a game state where maybe you've got that soul down turn one that's making me play around it. Maybe you've got a big draw off Matthew, and I'm looking at a you know disadvantageous board. Um, it's it's not set up for me to have a favorable path to win. And now three nails almost feels like maybe it stays about the same to where it still should see some play in certain decks that are not able to or doesn't feel confident in its ability to stop a, a big Matthew draw turn one. So what do you think about three nails and the reset? Yeah, so I completely agree with you. Three nails was vital before the rule change. Um, in my salty deck before I ran three nails, that way if they got through salty, I could reset them. And even though I wasn't running territory class enhancements, I had a bunch of ways to two Volcane to get to nails, you know, um, which actually is probably the way to do it because if you're running three nails now, you got delivered, but how else are you getting to nails? You know, your chains, you're going to be waiting until the next turn. It's really slow to get to nails. So having two Balkane, you've got Deceiver to Malachite Slave, you know, Darkness also to uh, two Balkane to activate it in battle. Um, so that's probably the best way to run it if you're getting to nails. I also ran nails in my numerous activity deck for if I went second, but I had so many tutors to get to it so i think that's one problem with nails in this format is it's harder to get to um you're gonna have a harder time getting to it and yeah you've got it there but when are you getting it yeah, you know that's it's, definitely it's a fair consideration difficult to get to it the other thing to consider because i actually cut it i it, originally when i built soul surfer i was running nails in it um and i didn't have justin martyr in you know, but then I shifted, and the reason is you look at the decks that are out there, the decks that are going to be good, they set up really easy. Matthew has no problem recovering from a nails. He's got three Searcher Angels and a Patmos to get to him. And even if it's a version that's not my version, because my version runs salty, they've got a couple tutors in there too to him. Like, you reset him, okay, fine, I'll go into Matthew again. You know, like it just, I don't really feel that with, and then, you know, you look at like, let's say you reset Flood. Well, that does nothing. Flood loves the reset. And the other decks I'm seeing that I think are kind of going to rise to the top, they're that way too. They're resilient. And so a reset doesn't really hurt a balanced deck the way that it does an imbalanced deck. I think it's still viable in certain builds. Um, like I think Flood should still be running a new beginning. Um, and I think there are certain decks that should run three nails, but I don't necessarily think it can be counted on as this strong way to like gain the tempo and gain the advantage that it was before because decks are more balanced. And even if they don't have three searcher angels, they're running better card value. So you reset me. Okay, that's fine. I've got a lot of characters that do stuff both on offense and defense. I'm going to be okay. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's still good, but not nearly what it was before. And especially since it's harder to get to um, and get set up. Yeah. I think also you lose some of that built-in value for it because people aren't going turn one and then burning through a bunch of, you know, one-off resources. You know, you're teaching in parables, your first sacrifice, and your spirit as a dove, and all these resources that on the reset they now don't have. 
So you're not creating as much disadvantage after a reset because they still just got the three angels and Patmos, all the different ways back to Matthew. So that's mm-hmm. that's definitely viable uh, uh, or definitely um, makes it less viable as a as a tempo piece. So do you think there is anything in the current format that or what do you think kind of replaces that from last year? Because I feel like last year three nails and Rossetti was kind of the darling of, you know, what the community found as a way to offset some of the big draw potential out of Widow. What do you think the the darling of this tournament season is going to be? Is it just herdsmen on the backside or what how do you play around someone gaining a big advantage? Uh, advantage after turn one there's a few different approaches one is the soul surfer deck to try and stop that advantage from happening by eating crowds out early um or something else if they're not running matthew and they're running another deck just interfering with their strategy two is herdsman um having a defense with a lot of ways to herdsman is a decent way to you won't set them back because they're going to try anyway but you're able to keep up and then another is soul hide. You know, you look at soul hide, hiding souls, they draw a bunch. Well, that's dandy, but if they don't have anything to rescue, it's pretty boring and frustrating because you're sitting on all this way, all these ways to win battles, but you don't have souls to rescue. So those to me are kind of the three main approaches I've seen that can work. The other is simply limiting brigade count. You know, and I've seen some decks like that, like uh, NT Gold and Crimson. Matthew's not drawing much against that deck. And that's part of why I run the Justin Martyr deal is I'm like, okay, if I am sensing my Matthew's not going to draw much, going for a draw two guaranteed and then likely a draw three after that with uh, Angel from the Sun and Justin Martyr, that's giving me an alternate route. But yeah, limiting brigade count is another way to stop Matthew. Because other than him, there's not really much else out there that sets up so blisteringly fast. You know, there's cards like Star of Bethlehem, which can draw you a bunch, but you have to get set up for it to draw, you know? Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the main strategies. Soul Surfer to get crowds and other stuff to stop people. Herdsman, Soul Hide, and then Limiting Brigade Count. I'd say the things I can think of that give you that opportunity to not bear the wrath of the mass Matthew draw. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a few options for people to think about if they weren't, you know, immediately already thinking that. So, and see, that, that's why we have you guys that are, are more in tune with deck building for the meta come on the podcast because, you know, I might have mentioned one of those and you've got you've got all three and then, oh, by the way, you can also do what everyone says and limit your brigade count. So definitely some, some solid options there. Now, one thing that I did ask Jay because he did – obliterate me with his flood soul hiding deck in the last uh zoom discord tournament and it was not fun um i thought i was in it until i was not in it and he just ran away with it um i couldn't push through i was playing i was testing a an angels and demons deck that i built for my son um so it was the first time i had played it so you have a lot of that that going on. I was using it as, you know, more of a, a testing grounds. And he brought his A game. So I should have expected to lose, right? But I remember asking him if he, if he you know, felt any impact of losing the ability from Souls with his deck. 
And because his deck's trying to play a certain way, the advantage that you gain from having the meek souls in that that deck, he said, far outweighed, you know, what you lose by, you know, giving up the instant abilities of having like the lawless, having the darkness, all of those different things. So now I ask you, because the Soul Surfer uses ongoing soul abilities versus some of those instant ones that gain card advantage for you or set you up better to succeed. Have you had games where you feel like you're missing some of those abilities or has it just been uh, a situation of the pros far outweigh the cons? Yeah, that's a really insightful question. And yes, um, the thing is too to understand like Soul Surfer came out of the Turbo Salty deck that I've been running since like September um, that I was trying to play and win with before the rule change. That deck really struggled with that. I'd have games, like I remember I lost a game to Jaden Allstat. It was an official online Zoom tourney. It was on my birthday, actually. And I got second to him. I won my other rounds, but I lost to Jaden. Turn one, I didn't draw any evil characters, you know? And I wasn't getting evil characters. And he just put in with his offense, and I didn't, I don't think I had a way to Matthew either. And I just got, I think I lost 5-1 in that game. He smoked me. And so definitely that is a factor. I was like, man, a darkness sure would have been nice or the lawless right now, you know, or even a prosperity to draw some cards. So not having those souls that, you know, add consistency, especially in a format where things have slowed down and you don't have the territory class enhancements as reliably to search is a factor. So what I have done is once I departed from the three nails deal, I added virgin birth in for two Vulcane. Um, and then there was something else. Oh, hopper for three nails. And so adding those that increases my consistency turn one because hopper and you know, virgin birth are to borrow the term from Josh P cantrips. Basically they, replace themselves and that's really helped i've i it's just two cards but it's thinned out my deck and i've noticed that i haven't had as many issues also it works in this deck because of the draw in on the offense and even defense like if i'm needing to get set up i do run outsiders which still does draw not necessarily the most but it's something and then i have mayhem too and mayhem's important because that also if i have a bad hand i can mayhem and so I think running Mayhem, Hopper, Virgin Birth, Matthew, Justin Martyr Package, and Outsiders, it's enough now. So I've got enough stuff to kind of counteract that loss of consistency and speed. Um, but yeah, if you're running, if you're wanting to do Soul Surfer at a build that doesn't run as much speed on offense, defense, and having thinning stuff like Hopper and Virgin Birth, it's it's probably going to be a bit rough because you're just going to really struggle um, consistency-wise missing those uh, consistency souls. Yeah, I think that with the rule change and kind of the way that it affects deck building and also the way that people are playing decks, because when you don't have as many resources or as many you know ways to chain to get to the, the key pieces of your deck, I feel like you're forced to play a different way. And so games are going to play out not not necessarily completely different, but there's going to be a different feel for them. I've noticed that in the few games that I've played, you know, playing that last Zoom Discord Invitational. 
that games are playing out um, a little bit different than how they were in the the hyper aggressive, um, you know, where people were still still on the chump defense and they were playing what you said earlier, 20 territory class enhancements. No, it's not 20, obviously, but it feels that way when you're on the other <laughs> side and you're watching it. So definitely I, I get that. But when you take that away from the opponent and now they're coming in and doing one or two things and then going into battle to where you can potentially interact, there's not much you can do to stop a Matthew draw if you've got the brigades in hand that's going to yield a big draw. But the games are playing out different. So, um, and we've seen decklist come out, and decklist look different, even if uh, even if you don't immediately notice it. And I guess maybe that's a fair question. Let's let's go here for a question first. Is how how has one territory class affected your deck metrics, or you know your your numbers of how many heroes, how many enhancements? I feel like a lot of people talk about the spread of card types. And then the overall opportunity cost of having, oh, an extra fortress here instead of a hero here. How much of how much of the one territory class rule change has changed the way that you build as far as number of card types? Hmm. Yeah, so offense, I think, is steady. Um, one player, I think it was Josh P. once said, you need to have 12 ways to a strong hero turn turn one in your deck and i think that's about right still um like my deck i've got what is it one two three four five six seven eight nine heroes that all have strong rescue value on their own right and then a tenth way and patmos um to them and then crowd's choice makes 11 you know so i'm a bit shy but i view virgin birth and hopper is offsetting that a bit so i'm kind of pretty much there defense is the big thing that's changed i would regularly run like six evil characters before you know and they'd all be strong now i really am not wanting to go less than eight like i i think i think i want to have eight strong evil characters in deck because the game is likely to go a bit longer. I mean, I might win in three turns, but I might be looking at four or five, and I need to have ways to block to stay in that game. Um, in terms of battle winners, I like at least like four evil battle winners. In the past, I'd run like two. You know, three like would be the top. Um, my deck right now that I posted, it only has three, but the reason for that is Herod's Guard allows me to get away with that. Having Herod's Guard prevents the next good card played, so it really helps out. You know, it's kind of like a Judean medium sort of thing that's so much more accessible. Um, and so, yeah, I think, like, I'm looking at eight evil characters minimum and then wanting, you know, four uh, battle winners for defense to back that up. And also another thing is I think having the reserve more balanced, I, like I'd have, you know, reserves that were eight good cards before two evil. I probably am wanting about four minimum evil cards in my reserve to help my defense out. So that's the big thing metrics wise that has changed for me is running more of that. The other thing, of course, is offense. The one big change is more battle winners. Um, I'm wanting, it, let's say I'm not running salty like in Soul Surfer. I'm wanting at least like four good battle winners main deck, maybe even five, you know, to have ways to win battles. And this is outside of dominance. Um, 
certain builds might be a bit different, but I want to have that because my offense is going to need that backup, uh, you know, to, to break through, especially more stout defenses. So I think the main changes are more defense ratio, more evil enhancements, more defense in reserve, and then more battle winners for offense. Those are the big changes to me. And you have, have you noticed kind of what I was talking about of, of the games playing out differently? Even if you are still able to win in three turns, the the game the games to me that I've played just have a different feel to them, and maybe that's just because I'm so used to being able to come in and do what I want to to create the board state that I want after turn one because everybody does that goldfish, and they're like, okay, boom, like I mentioned before, this is my ideal board state after turn one if I go first, and you can put all the consistency in your deck to get to that, and now. It's more of a kind of a crapshoot. It's like instead of shooting shooting a direct shot, you're shooting buckshot and you're just spraying it a little bit and you've, you've just hoping something hits. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like the games just feel different. So how much of a different feel are you noticing in games that you play? Oh, huge. It's not solitaire anymore, you know? Like we were in a solitaire meta for so long where it's just slapping stuff down and watching the opponent play prep phase is short you go to battle battles the focus of the games now and it's a lot more fun and i i think it's also more fun for new players like my play group i've got a couple experienced guys like the guys that are trying to go to nationals this year but a lot of them are beginners you know i've got new people coming in my group has kind of a turnover like i'll have three new people come check it out they'll come for a few weeks and they're done some of them stick but you know i'm often teaching new players and they come in and it's more fun for them because even with their starter deck, the pace of the game isn't so blistering fast. That they're not just watching someone play cards for, you know, 40 minutes and them just sitting there doing nothing, you know? So that the game has definitely changed in terms of the feel and it being more battle focused and more enjoyable and more interactive. Interestingly enough, even though you can't interact quite as much with the opponent, it just, it's a more fun experience. It's, it's balanced. It's healthy. You know, so that's that's a massive thing. And one thing, too, I shared this today. I found this. So I don't play Magic the Gathering. I used to. But I think it's important in growing and being a better player to pay attention to what top players and other card games write. Because when you look at a game like Magic the Gathering, there's a whole community there of players that have played that game for like 20 years and competitive players who understand competitive card games at a deep level. And so it's very helpful to understand how they approach playing the game and deck building. And you have to understand a bit about the game to get what they're saying. But I've learned a lot from just reading what these people write because our community, we have some top players. But in those communities, you've got, you know, the meta more deeply understood because you have a higher concentration of players like that. So this guy, his name's Drake Sasser, and he wrote an article because there was this unexpected deck that won a huge competitive tournament. Everyone was shocked by it. Um, It was a random little kid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, it was a deck that like used to win say 10 years ago. And it's been viewed as still being good, but not competitive. Well, the deck was very straightforward. It was a combo deck that basically can win turn one, but generally is threatening a win turn two or turn three. And so a lot of the decks now that are really popular in the competitive scene that, that for this format were ones that 
are really fast, but set up a lot of interaction and actually are more like mid range and stuff like that. And so he wrote this and I think it's really insightful and it's kind of where we're at in the game now. Coming in with a straightforward, powerful and resilient game plan is going to pan out better than a lot of decks looking to play longer games via interaction. Um, and I think that that's really, really good. And then he closes it by saying, quote, as a result, interacting less and instead having a more cohesive plan can pay off in a big way. And that's something I notice. Decks now are gravitating more being powerful and resilient. They want to have a really powerful offense, a really powerful defense, and they're going to try and win that war of attrition. And that's the way redemption used to be. That's why the throne decks were so good. They were powerful. They had this really powerful offense. And it was a resilient game plan. It was hard to stop. And it had inevitability. And so it was, you know, a very cohesive game plan to set up rescues that were going to win the game. And I think that that's a shift too. Like I'm seeing that the decks that are winning, there's some that play the longer game, like the Flood Soul High. And that, that is the main deck that's kind of that strategy. But most of the other decks that I'm seeing that are going to do well are ones that are really powerful and resilient. They're not easy to stop and they have high card value and they're going to you know go through and they have this plan to win the game. And I, I think that that's something to keep in mind with deck building. Um, you might find a strategy that is able to interact and play the long game and so the opponent down like a Flood Soul High deck. But most likely, the decks that are going to rise to the top are something like Throne. You know, Throne decks dominated for years because they were straightforward, powerful, and resilient. And I really thought that that was a great insight. I read this whole article, and that was the thing that leapt out to me because that's kind of where I've been at. And so on that note, I'm going to share. You mentioned I had three deck builds. And if this is okay, one of them I'm keeping secret because one of my playgroup guys is running it at Nationals. And I built the deck. And it's a take on something he's been running and I built it for him and I want to give him the best shot to succeed. But would you be okay with me kind of revealing a deck build, you know, to the community through the podcast right Man, now? Man, shoot. Yeah. We don't, we don't turn down breaking news here. So, okay. I mean, I think everyone's ears just perked up listening to the podcast right now. So you've got the floor. Let's go. Let's hear this thing. Okay, so on that note of decks that are straightforward, powerful, and resilient, I feel Soul Surfers that way. Um, as I was looking through kind of decks I had built, one that leapt out at me, I, I've been a blue guy, okay? I was, I was on creation of this world for long before Love at First Fight go, Genesis. Was, was, was discovered, you know, and so, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I've always had a special spot in my heart for blue because of that. Um, and as I was, I have this, I'll, I'll share this. I have this list of redemption ideas on my phone and on my computer. I have an Apple and so there's a notes app. And so when I have an idea for redemption stuff, I just write it down on this and then I go back to it. And so I have a section on my redemption ideas and it's um, focused on characters that create their own rescue potential. And so I've just listed, I went through the redemption card game viewer, you know, it was probably late at night, several nights while my wife was asleep and was searching for cards that like search deck for a card. Um, and I wrote them all down. And I noticed that Genesis actually has a lot of those cards that can create their own rescue potential. And so when I was building, you know, Soul Surfer, 
I don't think the Genesis version of that works per se, because you don't have a lot of the play a loss soul from a deck cards in blue. But Genesis has a really strong offense that creates its own rescue potential. And so the deck is called Blue's Clues, um, just because it's blue. And, uh, you know, it it's uh, got... We just got a, a letter. We just got... <laughs> <laughs> the dads of the room understand. But, uh, yeah, so the deck is focused on Abraham, C-O-W. He my boy, searches my boy. for... Yep. He is searches. so underrated for the fact that he negates neutral cards when he comes into battle and then does all the crazy. But anyway, go ahead. He he's absurd. And he's like Noah, and then he can set up an entire offense on his own. You know? So uh the deck actually, interestingly enough, runs Emmaus Road, Numerous as the Stars, and Delivered all in the same deck, which is like, how does that work? Well, if you look at each of those territory class tutors. They each grab stuff directly. Numerous in this build grabs up to X human heroes. Emmaus Road doesn't grab Abraham, but grabs some of the other characters that create their own rescue potential. Um, Delivered goes to Covenant with Noah, which activating that, you can take any Genesis human from your deck. So it does hey, use... Hey, uh, not, to, not to get you on a sidebar, but Covenant with Noah you mentioned there. I don't mm-hmm. know how many people realize this. If you pair it with Philistines... You've got those Genesis Philistines that came out in LOC, and you can actually grab an evil character that leads you to herdsmen after a Matthew draw from the opponent. So there's a lot of like utility things in Genesis allow you to grab evil instead of just good. Like Jacob can actually grab Death of Unrighteous with his ability because it's just a Genesis enhancement. Doesn't have to be a good enhancement. But anyway, another sidebar. Carry on. Uh, th- that's actually relevant because this deck does run herdsmen. So that's a that's an insightful piece of information. Yeah, so you can get your Genesis human, including your herdsmen, directly because herdsmen is Genesis. So you can nab them directly with delivered to Covenant with Noah. So the deck has some great ways to get set up. Lots of ways to Abraham. I run Angel of the Winds as well to get to him. And so typically what I'm looking at, and I run Faith of Abraham too. Faith of Abraham to Abraham to Abe's Servant to Ur is amazing because Abe's Servant to Ur so negates good. the playability on Faith of Abraham and bounces back to hand. I had, basically, this is where the deck came from. In the fall, I had a Genesis deck built that was just getting turboing to Faith of Abraham, and I was running with that. And uh, I ran that one game against Caden L., um crab burrito in the lackey grand prix i ran the deck one game and i won with it but i was running numerous activity that tournament and just went back to that but i was actually selfishly lobbying for when they were saying one tc i was like can we do two can we do two because if we have two tc <laughs> then this deck gets to faith of abraham with ease you can run faith you can run all these different ways to faith of abraham and you know but now faith of abraham's there just for if you can get to it before my deck in the fall was just totally faith of Abraham centric, but yeah, we can't do that now, but yeah. So all those ways to Abraham. Now, Abraham of course goes to three visitors and then you can go to Jacob to get, you know, Abe's servant to Ur, or, you know, you can go to covenant with Adam, um, you know, as, as battle winners to back it up. The, Deck runs both the Colosseum and the Cross, and the Cross is easier to get to with Delivered. On defense, it runs Emperor Nero, 
because Nero can search out Colosseum. So you can tend to get, you know, your Colosseum or your cross pretty fast to support up the banding offense. The other important individual character value with rescue potential cards, Joseph the Dreamer. I think he's been slept on. Joseph the Dreamer to well, Joseph the Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. It's true. He's been slept on. <laughs> Good one. I'll see myself oh, out. Sorry. <laughs> that was good. But yeah, he going to Joseph before Pharaoh. Joseph before Pharaoh is an amazing card in this meta with all the like char- evil characters that are protected like Herods and stuff. You negate an underdeck, they're evil and neutral card. And if it's human, you create a soul out of it, which we want ways to create souls right now. You know what I mean? Um, with certain decks hiding them. So, you know, there's... On his own, Joseph the Dreamer is good. Let's say I just go Emmaus Road to Joseph the Dreamer. I'm going Joseph the Dreamer to Joseph before Pharaoh in a deck that runs a bunch of negates that can back that up, and he gets initiative. You know, that's strong. Um, Let's say I don't have Abraham. Jacob, follower of God, is good on his own. And then the other thing I run is Adam the Exile. Adam the Exile can search out Noah the Righteous and ban to him. And that's just, that's really good because you're getting a big band, fight by the numbers. I run Behemoth main deck to back that up and then Chronicles of the Kings to back that up. Um, so there's a couple things that can back that rescue up. And then the final hero that rounds it out is actually Jeremiah Hopebringer because Jeremiah works with Covenant with Adam, Covenant with Noah, Emmaus Road. And then in reserve, I have a card that works well with the Genesis band that I think has been underrated out of Bethlehem because Jacob and both Joseph the Dreamer are green. So you can use out of Bethlehem to back that up as a, you know, not just a negate, but a battle winner. And then that works well with Jeremiah. And then, of course, first sacrifice loves Jeremiah. And then I also run Royal Parade in reserve because it works well with both Noah and Jeremiah. So the deck has pretty good synergy. Every character creates their own rescue potential. And then Judah, the leader, is great. So you're negating neutrals, negating an evil or neutral card and player set-aside area with Judah, the leader. Abe sets it all up. I think it's a strong offense. And the defense is a, a black-gray defense because I think you want herdsmen in this deck since I do run crowds, but I can't get to it as consistently without all the play of Lost Soul. So I run, you know, Deceiver, Malachite Slave, Darkness, um, and then Herdsman. And then there's also the perk, like you said, Covenant with Noah can get Herdsman. So you got that. And then just a just a well-rounded Black Grey defense, pretty standard, Plot to Kill, Stricken Tenants, and then HPA. The one thing I do, though, is I run both Supercilious Scribes and Herod Antipas in reserve, since I've got Chief Priests and Golgotha in the deck, because I want Golgotha for the cross. And Golgotha actually can grab Chief Priest main deck. So you do have the gospel human to grab. But yeah, so I, I think the defense, I've been a bit underwhelmed by black and gray, but I think when you've got both Antipas and Scribes in reserve, then you've got enough blocking power, you know, to get through with that defense. So that's the deck. Um, I think the reason I bring this deck up is it is straightforward, powerful, and resilient. You know, it's pretty consistent at what it does. Even if they like get a salty out, there's plenty of all those characters create their own rescue potential. Every hero, you know, so you're not sitting with a hero who's not going to be able to win a battle. And um, it's got a consistent goal. 
and it loves the support of the cross in Colosseum, which caused problems. But yeah, so that's that's the one of the uh, one of the three builds. I was looking at the stuff I built, and I was just sitting butt hurt about Faith of Abraham not working the way I wanted because it wasn't too. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I looked at my list and I was looking at another deck with high individual character value. And I was like, Genesis has all these guys, including Joseph, the dreamer, who's pretty underrated. And so I threw it together. And so yeah, I'll, I'll eventually get an article out on land of redemption with the deck, but I figured since I was on with you today, I'd go ahead and mention it to the community and just as something else. And, you know, so I think there's other things like this out there, but I think the deck's pretty fun. And as a person who loves blue, it's got a special place in my heart for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those that love blue as well, even if it has its shortcomings on enhancements uh, and battle winners per se. But I should have talked to you before I went and played in the Kentucky State Tournament because I played a version of that deck in Kentucky State. Um, and I didn't do as great with it because I had just thrown it together at the beginning of the week after Jay told me about the whole Abraham servant to or you know, negate the playability and put it back in your hand thing. Mm. And I just threw it together and I actually liked it. Um, there were a couple of things where I was like, okay, I definitely need to shore this up, but I didn't have the backup rescue of going in with a little guy, Joseph, the dreamer, and then getting a battle winner off that. But I, I had a lot of the similar pieces. I had the cross. I had complacent soul. I didn't have Coliseum, and that's one of the ones I was like, man, I should have that. So definitely cool to to, to hear you bring that up and mention that. And, you know, the, the gist of it about being straightforward is that really it's kind of a combo-y type thing when you're like, I'm going to get Faith of Abraham set up and then create this play off of when they block. And, you know, most things that are combo are not as viable right now because of the loss of territory class, uh, you know, being unlimited and now it's limited to one. But it really shakes out to being a two-card combo piece. All you have to have is Faith of Abraham and a hero to play it. Faith of mm-hmm. Abraham goes, gets Abraham, and he does the rest with three visitors in the deck to Jacob to grab servant to Ur and then ban to a meek on top of that or extend it to another patriarch. So it was pretty consistent to set up. So definitely looking forward to uh, that article coming out and, and seeing more in-depth about your build. I played it with a demon's defense, demon and thieves mm-hmm. defense, and I thought that that would help to get, you know, some of the card advantage and have that big beefy defense so that I can withstand some rescues you know, long enough to get to that inevitable of I've got the loop going here and there's really no way to stop it. Mm. But I I only finished seventh out of 20. <laughs> I, I got dusted by one of uh, Brian's students, five, five, one or either five. Oh, it was it was pretty rough. He got the full um, Infinidab set up. Mm. He had numerous for six in his opening hand. Oh, geez. And I mean, what are you going to do with that? Like, numerous yeah. for six in your opening hand. That's your one territory class enhancement. Okay, bud. I, 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 I scoop. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's game right there. <laughs> um, so it was, it was pretty rough. And then I had the whole band set up and I had it out there. And he comes in with a uh, terrifying beast, a Pontius pilot, and then exchanges them to the, Judas that I have in my discard pile. He withdraws all but Abraham and then swaps him out with the Judas in my discard pile. Who's purple. And I didn't have 
I didn't have out of Bethlehem or anything that that helps me out there. So that was pretty rough. You um, make a really good point. Oh, sorry, you were, were you about to say something. Else? Uh, no, you can go ahead. Yeah, you make a great point about Genesis being weak on battle winners, and I think that's something else with deck building. We have to acknowledge that and then dig deep and find other avenues. So, like obviously, Joseph the before Pharaoh is actually one of the strongest battle winners Genesis has, but not a lot of son of Jacobs are run. Well, when you run Joseph the dreamer in Judah and the fact Abraham can get to either of them through three visitors, then that becomes a great support. And then, yeah, noticing like, oh, wait, there is green. So out of Bethlehem is a great card to back up the, uh, the band and, you know, interrupt the battle and discard all evil cards in battle. That's what it's missing, you know, the Genesis stuff. So I think that that's something that's really important in deck building is to look at, all right, what are the, obviously I know the strengths of my theme, but are, what are the weaknesses and how can I supplement it? And then also doing something like a Jeremiah, he's a great way to supplement that theme with this really strong character who has multiple battle winners to back him up that get rid of all the evil characters in battle having a bit of variety the other thing is i run with the purity in reserve to bounce people but sometimes i won't need to bounce people with this deck jeremiah backed by oath of purity that's pretty darn good you know um so i think that that's a really key thing to evaluate in deck building is all right i know what the strong points are but what are the weak points of my offense and defense and how can I remedy that? And sometimes you have to get creative, you know, but that's like the soul surfer deck. I saw the weakness of my deck is if I'm just going in T, I kind of lose out on some really strong characters. So I put David Hart out of, after God in and realized he actually worked well with the offense because Royal Parade works with disciples. And then I needed ways to deal with counters and Noah does that while still rescuing. And so I kind of threw them in there and they're they're a bit different and wouldn't be expected, but they fit. They're not they don't stick out with the sore throne. There's actually three enhancements that work with Noah. There's more enhancements in Soul Surfer that work with Noah than there are in my Genesis deck, which isn't that interesting. Um, who would have thought that? But you never know. So looking at things creatively and going, like, okay, here's weaknesses. How can I address this? And maybe it's not something that people normally thought of. And searching for different words and lackey and um in the uh, card viewer and be like, Hey, this is what I need. Here's the ability I need. Let me see what cards do this and something might pop up that works. Yeah, definitely a valid point there as well. So um, I guess we've done a pretty good, good job of talking about deck building with the one territory class. Heck, you've even shared a new deck with people that you uh, previously were keeping close to the vest. So I think that, that does it for a, a, a podcast. I don't think anybody can listen to this and be like, I didn't get something out of it. So is there any, uh, any closing thoughts that you want to want to leave with the community? Maybe, you know, stressing the importance of, I think right now you mentioned having original ideas and building decks for yourself and kind of seeing how those turn out. I think that's important. And then I think just with the way that games can play out now in a variety of ways, because it is more, you know, not just luck based, but it's how you build your deck because you have limited consistency now with one territory class enhancement being the format. How does an opening hand look across several different games? So I think testing and actually playing games is going to be super vital and not just gold fishing now. Um, because I feel like gold fishing was more, more 
suitable to figure out how a game is going to flow back when you could control it more with unlimited territory class enhancements. But now when you just got the one, sometimes you're just going to draw, do one or two things, and then go into battle, and it's going to be based on battle and how that battle turns out to know how turn one's going to go. So I feel like actually playing games is a lot more important right now. But any closing thoughts on any of that that you want to share with the community? Um, Yeah, I'd say, number one, understanding the format and how it's impacted by rule changes. This won't be the last time we have a rule change in redemption. And so we have to constantly adjust to things and sitting through and instead of just going with what you've liked or what works for you, think about how the changes impact the game and then look at not just what you've built, but what other people built and consider what might work with this. Like that's really worthwhile to learn how to do that because card games like redemption are constantly changing all the time. And we just have to adjust with the different waves that hit us. Um, the other thing I'd mention is that building a variety of decks is a wonderful way to get better at deck building. And so like I built some really bad decks and I still build some really bad decks. That's just part of it. But that process helps me get to the stuff that's good. And maybe I build a bad deck, but there's something within that deck build. I'm like, oh, I hadn't noticed this before. And then I add that into a good deck. And so just being active in deck building, I'm not able to be as active as I'd like right now because I've got a three-month-old baby at home and, you know, there's just not as much time. But, you know, when I had more time, I was trying to build and tinker with decks every week. Now I kind of find what I think is going to be good and work on refining those builds because I don't have as much time to make new stuff. But yeah, just building a variety of decks, it's really helpful. And even if you're like, well, my deck's not as good as so-and-so's deck. Okay, well, play their deck, but build your own decks because then you get better at understanding how the game works, making connections and finding things. And who knows, maybe you'll find something really amazing that is strong and can make a difference. So I think, I think that's about all that I'd have to add in closing. Sweet. That's uh, definitely some good, good advice there on kind of how to approach deck building in any environment, but especially now after a big change and kind of having to uh, re-examine how you do that and how you go about that, because things have changed now with the new rule. But did you know that we are just 108 days away from nationals? crazy it's it's almost i feel like last year once it got to under 100 days like we started like really really hyping it up and it was so fun because then you start to get into it kind of corresponds with state tournaments like yours coming up this weekend um i'm actually going to tennessee state tournament next weekend or no i guess this weekend golly time is just a a warp zone for me so i guess this weekend also is tennessee state tournament and I'm going up there uh, to Chris's church for that. So you start to get some of those results sprinkled in from from states, and then regionals start happening, and mm. it just gets more and more real until we get to that point. But when you talk about all of the changes for decks and wanting to test new things, how the new rule plays out, kind of revisit that, you have 108 days now to – get to where you're ready to go to nationals with a deck that you feel confident in. Like if you don't start working on it soon, the days will sneak up on you because it did to me last year. I was like, I've got time. I've got time. And then it's like, Oh man, 
we're uh, we're on the way to nationals and I still don't know what I'm playing. <laughs> mm. And then I threw it together the night before. And as John Early will always tell you, don't build your deck the night before a category. Mm-mm. So I, I definitely think that taking some of this advice and going ahead and making a plan for decks that you want to try out, like having a list, like you mentioned having a list of things you want to go and evaluate. Have a list of decks you want to try out, different ideas that you want to try out. And then just start checking those things off. The only thing that stops you from checking those things off is putting your mind to it and applying when you have free time to think about it. And this is a hobby, and I know that hobbies come, you know, second to a lot of things that are priorities in life, like your job, your family, you know, people that are involved with church ministries, you know, maybe that takes up a a large chunk of their time even outside of the normal work hours and you don't have as much time like you mentioned you don't have as much time but you're still trying to squeeze in ways to be active in figuring out what deck you want to play and how to refine those decks and I think just applying yourself now before time sneaks up on you is just my my words of Mm -hmm. wisdom to you because I know from experience last year it didn't work out well for me so don't be mm. that guy this year. I'm not going to be that guy. So, hmm. That's some really, really good advice. Yeah, that's excellent. So I guess we'll leave it here. And thank you for, thank you for joining. As always, uh, podcast doesn't mean anything if you guys don't tune in and listen. So thanks for listening. And check out Covenant Games. Support our sponsor. You know, maybe soon we're going to try to squeeze out some more money from them. So go and give them some more money so we can squeeze it out of them. (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As always, I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening and helping make the podcast what it is. Always appreciate you guys and positive feedback, negative feedback, whatever feedback you got. Definitely appreciate you guys tuning in every week. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week and hopefully hitting you with the results from those two state tournaments. And who knows what else we'll figure out for podcast topic. You know, I'm always last minute figuring this stuff out. So we'll just check it out next week. Peace. Peace.